Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. The Bible reading is from Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17 to chapter 4 and verse 3. And Rob will be reading the Bible to us this morning. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntaki to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Well, we're back into the book of Philippians. We took a bit of a break for Christmas, but today we continue our series through the, through the book of Philippians, which is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And it's often known as Paul's joy letter because it's all about joy and how to experience the joy of the Lord. And within this section, Paul deals with a very practical issue and one of the main reasons why he's writing this letter. You see, there is division and conflict within the church. Uh, two women are having a, a disagreement, an argument. And so Paul writes in, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2, he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Antiche to be of the same mind in the Lord. In, in other words, he's pleading with them to overcome this conflict, to overcome this argument, and, and to put this dispute, this division, to an end. Now, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what they're arguing about. He doesn't give us any details of the argument. And so we simply have no idea what the issue is here. But what we do know is that it could not have been a big theological issue. Because if it was, Paul definitely would have given us the details and he would definitely be putting them straight. Uh, and secondly, we know that it also can't be some big issue of sin. Uh, it, it can't be an abuse or, or a big sexual sin or any other big sin because if it was, once again, Paul definitely would be telling us all about it and sorting the situation out. You see, abuse is never excusable. Sin is never excusable. So this is not some big theological issue. It's not some big sin. Uh, what it is is most likely a personality clash. Uh, and, and both Euodia and Syntyche are really good, faithful followers of Jesus. They are good people. Uh, Paul says in verse 3, Help these women since they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. They have been working with Paul at his side 
for the gospel. They, they are both awesome women. Paul's like, she's awesome, and she's awesome, but together, not so awesome. <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced something like that. You know people, and, and, and that person's amazing, that person's amazing, they're both fantastic, but as soon as they come together, things go sour, there's a personality clash, they just can't agree on anything. This is what's happening over here. Uh, and, and it's become such a public issue that Paul has to address it in the church. It, it, it's uh, spilled over to the point where everybody in the church knows about it. And, and it's causing division. It's causing a split. And what's most likely happening is the one lady's going around and saying, do you know what she said? Do you know what she said about me? Do you know what she did? And the other lady's going around and saying, do you know what she did? Do you know what she said about me? And, 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 and this lady's forming her support group, and that lady's forming her support group. And what they're doing is they're splitting the church. It's causing division within the church. Sadly, this still happens in churches today. It's called gossip. It destroys church unity, and it destroys churches. And so Paul has to deal with this issue, and, and, and this letter is going to be read on a Sunday morning. I, I can just imagine the one lady sitting right over there at the back, the other lady sitting right over here at the front, as far away as possible, and this letter's been read. Now, Paul is going to have to deal with this division. What, what I find fascinating is the way he deals with it. He doesn't jump straight in and focus on the two, the two ladies. He doesn't focus on the problem. He, he doesn't start by saying, I, I've got this great model for reconciliation. And, uh, you know, he has step one, he has step two, he has step three. It's like a problem-solving model. It's a, a listening model. And I suggest you two really should be doing this. No, he, he doesn't say that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a place for that. But that's not where Paul starts. Paul starts with theology. He starts by looking at the big picture. So often when we have a dispute and, and an argument, we lose perspective. We become so focused on the problem, so focused on the issue, so focused on the person that we lose perspective. We become so focused on the problem that, that we stop and we fail to look up and see the big picture and to see what's really important in life. And so Paul first pulls back and looks at the big picture and then he focuses in on the problem. And so in, in verses 18 to 21, Paul compares and contrasts two different ways of living. You see, ultimately, ultimately, you are either a follower of Jesus or an enemy of Jesus. You are either a citizen of heaven or a citizen of earth. And so Paul says in verse 18, For as I have often told you before and now, I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. What's an enemy of the cross of Christ? That's someone who hasn't put their faith in Jesus. Someone who doesn't believe that Jesus died for their sins so they can be forgiven and, and experience it, eternal life. They don't believe that. They're an enemy of the cross. 
But what we discover over here is the heart of Paul. Paul says, I tell you again, even with tears. When people turn their back on Jesus, it breaks Paul's heart. This is the heart of God, and this needs to be our heart. Don't become hard-hearted. After years of praying and trying, it's easy to become hard-hearted and say, oh, well, you know, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, it's their decision, it is what it is. Don't do that. This should break your heart. You should be shedding tears until they come to know Jesus because you love them and you want them to experience everything that God has in store for them. Paul then goes on to describe what a person who is an enemy of the cross is like. And he says in verse 19, their destiny is destruction. A life apart from Jesus ultimately ends in destruction, death. If you're living for anything other than Jesus, then whatever you're living for won't last. Your your intellect will deteriorate. Your health will decline. Your wealth will disappear. All your achievements will be forgotten. Your looks will fade. It doesn't matter how beautiful you are. It doesn't matter how many facelifts you have. Your face will fall. It won't last. If you're living for anything apart from Jesus, it's not going to last. And ultimately, it will end in death, eternal destruction. He goes on, their God is their stomach. If you're not living for Jesus, you're ultimately going to end up living for pleasure, solely for pleasure. This is very short-term thinking. So for what feels good now? If it's food, you end up becoming unhealthy. If it's alcohol or drugs, you'll become an addict. If it's sex, you'll become promiscuous and unfaithful. doesn't matter what it is. If you're not living for Jesus, it is going to end up in destruction. Nothing but pain. We call it addiction, but actually all addiction issues are worship issues. Because something else has taken the place, something or someone has taken God's place as the center of your life. He goes on, their glory is their shame. If you're not living for Jesus, you're going to end, and you're living for just for pleasure, you're going to end up bragging about things that you should be apologizing for. We live in a world where people glory, that means they take credit, they boast about how much alcohol they've drunk, how many people they've slept with, how many crimes they've got away with, how much they've stolen from their boss, and so on. His big point over here is when you become a follower of Jesus, you're suddenly going to be ashamed of the things you used to glory in. You're going to be like, what? I can't believe I used to say that. I can't believe I used to think that. I can't believe I used to behave like that. What was I thinking? For some of us, that's our testimony. And he ends by saying, their mind is set on earthly things. All they can think about is life here and now on earth. Their pleasure, their accomplishments, their wealth, their achievements. 
They are spiritually blind. They can't see God. They can't see Jesus. They never think about the Bible. They never consider things from eternity's perspective. That they simply can't imagine there could be a kingdom that never ends and goes on for all eternity. They are spiritually blind. Are you merely focused on earthly things? Your own pleasure, the here and now. Or are you living in light of eternity? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? So often people say, I want to be on the right side of history. I'd rather be on the right side of eternity. Because when all is said and done, we're going to stand before Jesus, and I don't want my end to be destruction, but rather I want Jesus to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come. And so the one way of living is as an enemy of Jesus, a citizen of earth. The other way is as a follower of Jesus, as a citizen of heaven. And so Paul continues in verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven. Now, the, the, the church in Philippi really understood the concept of citizenship. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony. And even though Philippi was miles and miles away from Rome, everybody in Rome lived as if they, I mean, everyone in Philippi lived as if they were in Rome. They, they lived as Roman citizens. They, they spoke Latin. They dressed like Romans. They, they used Roman names and so on. They lived as if they were Roman citizens. And, and so Paul is saying, basically saying to them, you know, you know how everyone in Philippi lives like if they are a Roman citizen? Well, you have a higher citizenship. You're a citizen of heaven. And you need to start living a life worthy of that citizenship. We are all citizens of a very secular British culture. And there's incredible uh, pressure to conform uh, and to you know, speak in a certain way, behave in a certain way, act in a certain way, to have certain values and goals and priorities in life. And there's immense peer pressure to conform to this way of living, but we are called to live as a citizen of heaven, where Jesus is king, where Jesus is the Lord of our life, and we need to live and act like Jesus. And he continues, And we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The big point over here is we need Jesus. The planet needs Jesus. You see, the world has got a lot of problems. There's, there's poverty, there, there's wars, there's conflicts, there's global warming. There, the world's got a lot of problems, and ultimately, money can't fix it. Politicians can't fix it. Social activists can't fix it. The election won't fix it. Only Jesus can fix it. 
And so we eagerly await Jesus' return. Verse 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You see, when Jesus returns, he's going to bring everything on earth under his control. That means everything on earth will be just the way it should be. No more corruption. No more evil and hatred. No more wars and fighting. No more poverty and injustice. No more illnesses and diseases. No more weeping and crying. But everything being just the way it should be. And, and He will transform our lowly bodies, our weak Mortal bodies will be transformed into supernatural physical bodies like Jesus' resurrected body that never dies. And we will live for all eternity with Jesus. And that's the sure and certain hope we have. And the fact that Jesus physically rose from the dead proves that this is not wishful thinking. This is a sure and a certain hope. And if this is the sure and certain hope that we have, then it should change the way we live now. We should be living as citizens of heaven now. If we believe that this is true, and it is, then it should change the way we behave and act and live now. It should change our priorities. It should change our values. It should change our outlook. We should become more concerned for the poor and the oppressed. We should become more concerned about the environment and social justice and less concerned about our comfort and pleasure. We should become more concerned about other people and their interests and less concerned about our interests, and our needs. And we should be less short-term in our thinking and more long-term in our thinking. We should be more concerned about eternal things. And we should be passionate about people's eternal salvation. It should break our hearts. We should be crying, shedding tears until they come to know Jesus because we love them. It changes us. Are you simply being earthly minded? Reflect on your life, on your goals, on your priorities, on your values. Are you simply being earthly minded? Or are you living like a citizen of heaven, judging what's really important from the light of eternity. Now that Paul has established the big theology, the big picture of theology, he now focuses in on, on the problem. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown... We see the real affection Paul has for the warm affection he has for the Philippians. He goes on, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Stand firm in the Lord. In other words, what he's saying is always continue to live like citizens 
of heaven. And then suddenly he goes from there straight into verse 2. I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. He starts dealing with this conflict. But take note, he doesn't say, you need to come to an agreement. You need to agree. He doesn't say that. He says, you need to agree in the Lord. It's okay to agree to disagree. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to believe all the same things. We, we, we don't have to believe in the same politics. We have the freedom to agree to disagree. But what we do need is to have the same mind that's in Jesus. The same mind in the Lord. What does he mean by that? He's saying to these two women, you need to realize that you are a citizen of heaven and you need to start living like a citizen of heaven. You need to have the same mind as Jesus. All the things that Jesus is passionate about, all the goals, all the values that Jesus has, you need to have. And, and if you fill your mind with all of this, then where's all this pettiness coming from? So often when we're having a conflict and a dispute, we just need to stop and look up at the big picture, realize that we are a citizen of heaven, realize what's really important from the light of eternity. And when we start filling our minds with what's really important, we'll suddenly be, realize how petty our disagreements are. You see, so often when there's a, a, a disagreement and a dispute, it's because we've lost sight of what's really important. We, we, start, we, we start majoring on the minors. The most important thing is to ensure that the most important thing is the most important thing. When we start doing that, we'll start realizing how petty a lot of our disagreements are. Is there an ongoing conflict in your life? A disagreement? Maybe in the family, maybe at work, maybe even at church. Then can I encourage you to stop, pause, and look up at the big picture Realize that you're a citizen of heaven. Start evaluating your goals and your, 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 your values and your priorities in light of eternity. And reflect on your life. Are you simply being earthly minded? Or are you living like a citizen of heaven? Do you have the mind of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that so often we, we major on the minors. We lose sight of what's really important. We lose that eternal perspective. And we start living like an enemy of the cross. As if 
Our stomach is our God. And we start bragging about things we should be ashamed of. And so, Father, we ask that you would forgive us. Father, help us to always realize that we are citizens of heaven. Lift our minds up to see what's truly important from your perspective, from the perspective of eternity. And let us find our unity in that, our unity in the gospel, our unity in Jesus. And help us to disagree, agree to disagree on the minors. Father, we confess that this is easy to say but difficult to do. We pray that by your Holy Spirit you would empower us, enable us, strengthen us, and help us to look up and to live in a way that is worthy of being a citizen of heaven. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, abgavenibaptist.co.uk.